Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Just before Canada Day, the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice sent out a press release calling on residents to alter their plans. Instead of fireworks and celebrations, it suggested people spend time educating themselves about the history of Indigenous people. This was in the shadow of the recent discovery of more than 1,000 unmarked graves on the grounds of residential schools. In this interview, Kim MacArthur Jackson and Derek Blackadder, the two co-chairs of the coalition, will talk about how the efforts went on Canada Day. You will also learn about the organization and how it was formed in 2018 to address issues of systemic injustice and inequity in the county. Listen carefully to hear how the group takes a different approach to its activism in trying to achieve similar goals. I'm so pleased to have with me today Kim MacArthur Jackson, co-chair of the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice, and Derek Blackadder, her fellow co-chair. Welcome to Consider This. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having us. All right. Derek, your organization sent out a press release asking residents in Northumberland to forego Canada Day and instead think about the plight of Indigenous people in this country. Tell us how your Canada Day went. Uh, my Canada Day was spent uh, at home with uh, my cats and my partner. Um, and uh, at one point, actually, and seriously, we sat down and had a probably 45-minute uh, talk about um, the uh, report of the uh, commission, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and on the uh, speed or lack of speed with which its recommendations or calls for action are being implemented. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, of course, uh, we weren't able to, uh, you know, have that chat with uh, a wider, uh, you know, group of people uh, maybe next year. That might turn out to be a Canada Day tradition. Kim, how did you spend your Canada Day? Initially, I had planned on going over to Alderville um, because there was some events happening over there that I was hoping to be a part of. Um, unfortunately, wasn't able to do so due to illness in the household. Um, so we did end up having to stay home. Um, I have had a lot of discussion with my children around, um, you know, the Indigenous residential schools. Um, I mean, honestly, it's because of my kids that I even know about them because they certainly did not teach that kind of information when I was in school. And I was a history junkie. I took every history class available and learned nothing about it. Um, So it is a conversation that, you know, I have had a lot of with my children. Um, So we all wore orange shirts because the original intention had been to to go over to Alderville. 
And um, we actually ended up spending a lot of the day um, watching live streams of various events around the country um, because there was quite a lot of events that were happening um, and just basically learning, learning and witnessing. How old are your children and in what grades are they in at school? Um, that's, I, there's a lot of them, I'll warn you. Uh, my eldest child is 26. Um, she still lives at home here with us as she's going to school. Uh, my next child is 22. Um, and then I have kind of what I call the younger batch. And they are um, 14, so going into grade 9. Um, just about to turn 11, going into grade 6. And um, literally in a few days, turning nine, going into grade four. So quite a range. Must have been a very interesting discussion. Very much so. My, my older two have actually said that they didn't learn anything about the residential schools when they were in school either. So they, they're very much going through the learning process as well. Um, it's mainly just, you know, the younger three kids that have actually had any official learning about the residential school system in schools. Now, Derek, did you get any feedback on the request that you made? Um, a, a lot of uh, positive feedback, which I was sort of expecting. Um, but um, when, uh, I, when we also went uh, more public, when we sent out a media release and posted it in various places on Facebook, I was expecting um, a negative reaction. Um, I was even worried a bit about our uh, email addresses and my phone number being on that media release and what that might result in. But um, I was quite astonished, actually. Uh, I got not a single negative message about it. Uh, there was some discussion that I saw on Facebook, not all of which I was, you know, uh, certainly not all of which I would agree with. And some of it was uh, a bit depressing to see. Uh, in the 21st century and only a few weeks after uh, the uh, first, though it shouldn't have been a surprise, but the first unearthing of those um, that mass uh, uh, of unmarked graves in D.C. Um, uh, but uh, even so, you know, it was much more positive uh, than I would have expected, and the negative uh, just didn't show up the way I had thought it would, um, which I take as an encouraging sign. I think people are finally getting it and maybe after you know uh, 50 years or 50 years that I can remember anyway of being told that all those graves were out there um, and there not being much of a public reaction to it maybe now that uh, maybe now that uh, you know they can people can turn on a television or look at their phone and actually see the graves it's starting to sink in and um, you know we may see the start of something um, or at least I think it's worth hanging on to the hope that we may see the start of something now. The negative comments that you did receive, do you, were you able to determine if they were local? And could you also maybe share a little bit of the content just so that people might understand uh, what you mean by negative? Sure. Um, I, they were, uh, I believe they were local commentators. Um, they were in uh, Facebook groups that were uh, are, are for people from Northumberland County, uh, though I'm not sure to what extent they're filtered uh, or membership is filtered. 
but in any case, um, you know, they, they weren't tremendously negative. There were people saying that, you know, uh, Canada Day was not for this. Um, there were people simply posting responses to uh, announcements uh, or uh, other posts from people uh, encouraging people to not um, go to traditional Canada Day events, not uh, participate in anything organized to celebrate Canada Day, but instead to you know reflect on what it means for a significant chunk of the people who live here. Uh, and you know, they, so they would post, you know, uh, in response they would post the Canadian flag, or in response there'd be, you know, an announcement that an individual wasn't going to do this, that it was Canada Day, and it was for, you know, uh, celebrating, uh, quote unquote, uh, living in the greatest country in the world, and so they were going to continue to do that, and they would ignore calls for uh, some other activity on that day. So, as I said, not tremendously negative. I was quite uh, cheered up uh, by the lack of, um, uh, of seriously negative or disparaging or even racist responses to, uh, to the call. Kim, how effective do you think the campaign was within the community? I think it was actually quite effective. I mean, the, the photos that I saw showing the number of people that went to Alderville, for example, um, the sheer number of people that actually did go and, and bear witness. Um, and I mean, you have to look at it as sort of an iceberg as well. I mean, the number of people that actually went, that's only the tip of the iceberg. When you look at, you know, how many people were taking that time to think about our history and, you know, what that means about us as Canadians. We like to consider ourselves to be, you know, generally very progressive. And, you know, unfortunately, sharing a border with the U.S., there is very much a feeling of superiority, as much as I hate to use that word. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's been very shocking to a lot of people, especially people that didn't really have any background knowledge. And a lot of people are taking it very seriously. And, and like Derek said, that's extremely heartening. Derek, isn't this really just about cancel culture? Cancel culture generally or broadly but I think is uh, it's just the you know early 21st century way of describing the um, conservative with a small C uh, reaction to um, any uh, challenging of accepted beliefs or uh, well, the, an example I like to use um, because I drive past the Orange Hall in Coburg uh, or walk past it uh, a few times a week, is that, you know, 60, 70 years ago, the uh, members of the Orange Order in Ontario, and I'm sure Coburg was no different, or if there, if there was one in Campbellford or anywhere else in Northumberland, they were no different. Um, you know, they were out parading every summer, celebrating uh, the victories of the English uh, kings over the uh, Irish uh, 500 years ago and demanding that uh, all public service jobs in uh, in the province be reserved for people descended from British Protestants. 
uh, you know, and uh, it took uh, a lot of work by a lot of people organizing over a lot of years to put a stop to that and to put a stop to the discrimination that the Orange Order lobbied so hard for, lobbied and did other things so hard for in Ontario. Uh, and I'm you know, they weren't called, those people who did that work, they weren't called, you know, advocates of the cancel culture. They were called something else, probably, um, commies or uh, or worse. Uh, and, um, you know, that's what's happening today. We're seeing not the destruction of any truth that's out there, but instead a correction, an injection of reality into the jingoism that's behind uh, phrases like, you know, the greatest country in the world. Well, um, you know, and there are a whole bunch of things about uh, that that are distressing, first of all. And of course, you know, uh, it indicates that there's a resistance to confronting the truth um, of Canadian history or the unpleasant truths like uh, the residential schools. Um, but also, uh, you know, there's uh, broadly uh, put, built into that attitude towards, uh, uh, you know, anyone working for change in the society is the belief that it is as good as it's going to get and we should not be working to improve it. We should not be criticizing it. We should not be taking a step back every once in a while, looking at ourselves and wondering if uh, all those things that we've been taught to believe or have just come to believe over time are really true and if they're, uh, and are they really uh, good for the people who live here? And I think very often the answer is uh, no, they're not. Uh, but the people who stand up and say that are the ones who get labeled with uh, uh, with uh, terms like uh, cancel culture. Kim, how is this not white settlers appropriating an indigenous protest? Well, in a number of ways, one thing that's really important to remember for um, anybody who is wanting to become involved and wanting to learn about the residential schools and is, you know, frankly horrified and wanting to speak out about it is we're here to bear witness. We're here to show solidarity and to give support and to listen to Indigenous people. It's one of the things that I try really hard to do when I'm talking about, you know, on social media or even in person is referring back to Indigenous voices and, and phrasing those up. So when I'm sharing something on social media, I'm sharing things that are coming from Indigenous voices so that it's their voices that are being heard and not settler voices talking over what Indigenous voices are trying to say. I, I think, uh, sorry, Kim, um, hopefully I can interject here. Um, I think what Kim has said is exactly is bang on. I would just, uh, I think it's important also to say that, uh, you know, uh, settlers uh, and their descendants, uh, like me, uh, have benefited from what's been uh, done to, in our name, by the Canadian state has been done to the Indigenous people of Canada. And so I think uh, we have an obligation um, to um, to take action um, to uh, to raise our voices in opposition to what's happening uh, and to uh, exert ourselves a bit in that direction simply 
we have a well simply put i guess we have a moral obligation as well as a political one because you know we benefited from it our ancestors benefited from that uh, suppression of uh, indigenous culture and you know arguably we're still benefiting from it today I mean, I'm sitting on what should be, uh, you know, uh, Alderville land. Uh, I'm, they, had, they once had a claim to, and I think had a treaty entitlement to the land that I'm uh, parked on right now. Uh, the fact that I can do this without uh, their permission or uh, that the parking lot that I'm in, uh, you know, was here without their permission or without any compensation to them suggests to me that I have an obligation to, well, to talk to you on the radio and explain why it is that uh, we did what we did around Canada Day and try to bring what's happened and what is happening to the attention of as many people as possible. Not everyone listening may know a lot about the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice. I'd like to take a step back, if we can, and talk about the coalition itself and, and how it was formed. I understand it was brought together in 2018. Can uh, Maybe, Kim, can you start? Can you share the origin story about how this group came about? It more or less began with a, a group of people who were taking notice of I mean, honestly, a lot of different types of injustices. There's so many different things to focus on. And I think because there's so many different things to focus on, it it can be very difficult for people to know what to do or how to address it. You know, when you're seeing issues around poverty, when you're seeing issues around addiction, when you're seeing issues around, um, you know, racism and xenophobia and that sort of thing, like there's it can feel very overwhelming, and I think because we're in a time where social media is so prominent, there's so much more information out there that it can make it feel even more overwhelming. And so the original idea was to basically, you know, put this group together so that we can actually try and enact some meaningful change and draw attention to issues that are happening, um, you know, not just on a, on a large scale, but locally as well and give people somewhere that they know that they can go to when there is issues. You know, if, if we want to draw attention to something specific that's happening locally, having a group to go to that's kind of collecting that information and, you know, has the ability to draw people together gives the ability for local issues like that to be addressed instead of everybody just feeling overwhelmed and like they, they don't know what they can do to help. Derek, can you add to the story and maybe tell us a little bit about why in 2018 it, this was sort of a lightning rod moment that brought this coalition together? Um, well, to, to add uh, or to build on what uh, Kim said, uh, one of the things we were had started to do before the pandemic hit um, and um, uh, along with uh, a few other things, um, uh, cancelled was um, we did have some plans for events. Um, we've uh, we've had at least one, I think two, but I can't remember the, what the second one was about. So it may be my uh, aging memory. Uh, but we have tried to provide some capacity building skills training for uh, social justice organizations in the area. So uh, one of the, one thing that might have might be of uh, some interest to you, Bob, is, um, or Rob, is um, the, uh, we had a workshop, uh, I think a two-day workshop on um, 
media relations uh, for community organizations. And I think we had a half a dozen uh, different organizations uh, present uh, for that weekend. So we do stuff like that. And we had planned also a... Uh, a green transition uh, for workers conference uh, for Northumberland um, with the support of Northumberland's uh, Labour Council. And that, of course, had to be cancelled as well. The um, Liberal government, when we first started talking about this, that the Liberal government, um, which we were, I think, uh, well, we're nonpartisan. I think um, we saw a lot of, um, uh, from different perspectives, the people who were involved saw a lot of problems with the policies and actions of the Liberal government. But by then we had uh, intimations that, well, it was actually hard to miss, that the uh, Tories were likely going to, um, to win the election. And we knew that that would mean uh, new challenges uh, on top of the ones that uh, people in Northumberland were facing. And um, it added a sense of urgency. We weren't the only ones. I, mean, I think we, there were a lot of people who were redoubling their uh, efforts uh, at organizing in anticipation of the Tories winning the election, which of course they did, and doing the things which, um, which they have done, uh, which have made life uh, difficult, more difficult for a lot of people in North a lot of people across the province. Uh, and so I think uh, that lent a sense of, um, of urgency to it. And of course, it was back when you could actually meet and talk about things face to face. Um, and in retrospect, that made a lot of things uh, a lot more possible than Zoom does, as much as it um, uh, it's helped us get through the last little while. I think uh, just running into the same people uh, on a regular basis at meetings or even just socially and, you know, uh, discussing where we thought um, politics and society were going in general. Uh, having that happen repeatedly, um, I think, brought home the fact that there are themes there and that uh, we weren't the only people who were thinking these things. Kim, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what what brought you to the coalition? Well, I am, geez, I always have such a hard time kind of talking about myself. Um, I'm, generally speaking, a, a quasi-normal human, um, you know, married with kids. And one of the things that's kind of brought my attention to a lot of, you know, injustices that are happening both locally and, you know, on a, on a much wider scale, is looking ahead to what kind of world my children are going to be going into. Um, you know, you look at what a lot of millennials and Gen Z are going to be facing, and things like housing. I mean, it's, it's so difficult for people to find housing now. It's, you know, virtually impossible. If you talk to my 26-year-old, she kind of says, like, I feel like I'm never going to be a homeowner. That's not going to be a thing because it's just not possible anymore because housing prices have gone up so much and wages, unfortunately, have kind of stagnated. And when you're looking at those types of situation that, you know, the younger generations are dealing with, it really opens your eyes to the injustices that are happening and what, it's almost like a, a domino effect. Once you kind of see, you know, that one small thing, it just kind of expands out from there because then you start learning about why are these things happening? Why, why is there so many people that are unable to find adequate housing? And then you start looking at, you know, the 
the economic factors and the, the social factors and, you know, it, it's an ever-expanding net. And then you start seeing, you know, different types of marginalization that's happening and everything just kind of builds on it from there and becomes kind of very, very wide, I guess. Um, and that's where that overwhelming feeling kind of comes in because you want to do something, you want to make things better for future generations. How, how can you do that? Um, so you end up, you know, becoming part of something like the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice to try and help enact change so that things will be better for our kids. Derek, what about you? Uh, well, it was always Kim's a hard act to follow. Um, I don't know. Uh, I spent uh, 40 or so years as an active trade unionist of one sort or another, doing various things in various positions. And um, to me, the idea of uh, retiring and not um, continuing the struggle in some way, shape or form seems rather boring. And I thought that I, um, if I laid down in front of my uh, TV set with a case of beer on my chest, I'd probably be dead in six months. So really, the, this and the other uh, things that I do are my way of staying alive. <laughs> Kim, can you tell me how many members uh, belong to the coalition? Um, that's kind of hard to say because it's, I think it's very much a fluctuating thing because a lot of the time, how many people you're seeing, um, number one, with COVID, of course, that's made things even more difficult because there's there's not been that ability to get together kind of face-to-face. Um, but at the same time, it can also help to, to build because people are looking for information because they're not able to get together. Um, Derek, do you have kind of a better idea of what that looks like? Well, we, uh, um, Rob, we don't have formal membership, I guess, with the exception of the four people on the steering committee. Um, we have a mailing list with, I think, about 230 or so people on it. Um, and uh, we have a Facebook page with a couple of hundred uh, uh, or actually closer to 300 followers. Um, and uh uh, I'm trying to think. I would say the way we just this, uh, measure the success of something we do is um, by way of how many people show up. So if we, um, you know, if uh, one of the teachers' unions or one of the or one of the healthcare unions is having an event uh, and wants some assistance getting people out in front of our MPP's office um, some afternoon for uh, a demonstration of some kind you know and if we get 30 or 40 people out that's fantastic if we get 10 people out that's fantastic anything we can add to what they're doing um is great uh and um but we've avoided, I think, and I'm here, I'm speaking, I think, on my own, so this may come as a surprise to Kim, but we've kind of avoided having a formal membership structure because, in part, uh, the coalition uh, was meant to allow people to participate at a level that they're comfortable with without feeling that they're under any pressure to come to uh, meetings where, you know, bylaws would be talked about or finances had to be discussed and voted on, that instead uh, they could just take you know, as little as a half an hour out of their busy day and go and do something um, and feel like they've accomplished something as a result. Uh, so we don't have a formal membership structure. 
as I said, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of overlap between the mailing list and the Facebook uh, page, but, you know, probably something like 250 people are what I would consider to be supporters of the coalition somewhere in Northumberland. So how, how then do you finance it, Kim? Um, I mean, a lot of it is simply donation. I mean, I know myself, uh, when we initially started kind of getting together and discussing these, these topics and that sort of thing, um, I had a few signs made up, uh, basically just because I wanted to be able to, to draw attention to the coalition, let people know that we existed, um, you know, have kind of a, a center point that people could go to, um, and and. and kind of going back to like the the membership thing because it's such a wide range of things that we're looking at there, there's so many different i mean you know looking at lgbtq rights looking at um poverty looking at you know so many different facets i mean you're going to find that certain things are near and dear to people's hearts so you know for one particular type of event you may have you know, X number of people come out because that's something that they're very concerned about. And then another event, you may have a completely separate group of people with maybe a little bit of overlap um, because that's something that's very near and dear to them. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is, is kind of self-financed when people want to make signs or people want to, um, you know, put certain things together. And then we do have, um, if I'm not mistaken, Derek, we, we do have, a bank account as well that we have had some donations and whatnot go into. So when it was founded, Derek, it seemed like the coalition was a collaboration of many older, longtime activists in the community. I mean, there was uh, Linda McKenzie Nicholas, Deb O'Connor, Dan Tobin. Deb O'Connor was with the Coalition for Poverty, and Dan Tobin is a, a well-known labor leader and the head of the Labor Council. Why was there a need for another platform for these people and their organizations? Uh, I think actually, Rob, it was what was happening with the creation of the coalition was the reverse of what you're suggesting. It wasn't so much that they were looking for another platform. It's that they were looking to find um, other platforms for the members of the organizations they represented uh, to get active in. So, for example, um, you know, uh, Dan, as president of Labor Council, uh, is likely not, or uh, he might want to, uh, but, you know, in terms of his time and resources, he's limited. The Labor Council, of course, is limited. Um, but there may be certain kinds of issues that uh, Labor Council would like to take on, uh, but hasn't got the ability to. Uh, and, uh, but, there are members of the unions affiliated with Labor Council uh, who might uh, have the time to go to an event um, in support of, you know, residential school survivors, let's say, just for the sake of argument. Um, but uh, if Labor Council wasn't organizing it, then uh, they might by accident come across um, uh, notification that the event was happening, and they might have the time or the ability to get a notice out to um, all of their affiliated local unions in the area about it. Um, but it 
it wasn't uh, there, there wasn't a built-in mechanism for doing that. So, uh, uh, and I'm putting words in Dan's mouth here, but um, I think Dan would probably say that the coalition serves a wonderful purpose from his perspective, and it's why Labour started. Uh, sorry, why the Labour Council endorses it? It's because we. Um, uh, keep the members of unions in Northumberland County up to date on the justice, social justice struggles of other organizations or of other people in the area and allow them an opportunity that they might not otherwise have, which is to participate in an event organized not by Labour Council or by their union, but by the Alderville Band Council or by the uh, Campbellford uh, uh, Queer Coalition. Uh, and uh, we can do that on a regular basis. And people who are member trade unions and who are interested in LGBTQ uh, to um, to issues, they can uh, participate in an event. They can make a contribution, uh, but they don't feel an obligation to go to meetings, as I said earlier, where the finances need to be discussed or where uh, internal politics uh, may come up and take up people's time and energy. They can just pick and choose what they want to participate in, and they can participate in a broad variety of uh, events about a broad variety of issues. Kim, it's obvious when you look at your Facebook page, the wide range of issues that uh, uh, the coalition shows interest in and and advocates for. I mean, racism, there's international development, uh, economic equality, health care, queer rights, and so on. What are the major issues that the coalition is focusing on at this time? I think a lot of um, what we're doing right now, especially with restriction. Um, when we initially started the coalition, a lot of what we were hoping to do was um, basically a lot of real-life events. So um, one of the first big things that we did was picketing out in front of um, Mr. Pacini's office um, to, to talk about um, cuts that were being made to social services, and that's something that very much does directly affect people in Northumberland County. Um, So when we initially kind of started doing things, that was the idea was that there was going to be a lot of that. Of course, a lot of that ended up being kind of put on the back burner because of COVID. So at the current time, with the ability to get together being very limited and, you know, not really something that we're able to do, a lot of it over the last year has very much been towards education, um, drawing attention to various things. And one of the kind of drawbacks to COVID, as much as we've learned a lot about how we can still communicate when we can't get together, a lot of the drawback was that it it made things very easy to ignore, Um, especially if you're not overly active on social media um, and you don't really watch the news. It's very easy to kind of just not really know what's going on because nobody's going out. You're not having that constant conversation with people where those things would tend to come up. Um, so, you know, really focusing on the education piece and making sure that there's information getting out there so that people who are interested and want to learn about various things that are happening are able to do so in spite of the fact that we were all kind of stuck at home and, and weren't really able to get out there in person to do so. Derek, for those who hunger to see social justice in our community, 
Where can you point to as examples where the needle has moved? Well, I think um, on the residential schools uh, issue, I think we've seen the needle move um, uh, in the past two months. It's probably moved further than it has in the uh, past, uh, well, since the TRC was, uh, report came out, which was, what, four years ago, five years ago? Uh, I think it's. Uh, uh, I think that's something to be cheered about, um, and I think, um, and this is um, uh, going to sound pretty uh, warm and fuzzy, um, but I think the fact uh, that the last uh, few years, since the Tories were elected in Ontario, uh, which uh, has a considerable impact on. Uh, uh, generally speaking, the questions relating to equity and social justice in the entire province, but certainly in Northumberland, um, I think the fact that we are still here, uh, not just the coalition, but the coalition and all the other progressive uh, community organizations like, you know, uh, trade unions, um, like the Northumberland Coalition Against Poverty, the fact that we're still here um, and that we um, are not um, always on the defensive uh, is tremendously encouraging because it does mean when there is a shift in the political winds and things at least ease a bit um, and perhaps start to get uh, you know better, uh, then you know we'll be able to make even greater improvements. So you know, to me, it's by far the most exciting thing about the past year. Kim, what's next for the coalition? to ease up as far as the restrictions go, I'd really like to see us kind of going back to, I mean, it sounds weird to say, but back to our roots um, and, you know, eventually being able to have get-togethers to have, to be able to draw attention to issues that are happening. Um, because I think visibility is extremely important. And that was one of the things when, you know, we kind of began it, it was visibility that we wanted to be able to, to bring to the table. Um, people seeing that there's a lot of people standing up and speaking out about various issues not only encourages them to look further into the issues, but it just it also shows people who maybe have feelings about those issues and didn't really know how to direct them that there's a way to do so. And it's the only way that we can enact change is by showing that there is, you know, a large group of people that aren't happy with the status quo. Kim MacArthur-Jackson, Derek Blackadder, I want to thank you so much, both of you, for talking to me today. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Happy to do so. That was Kim MacArthur and Derek Blackadder, the two co-chairs of the Northumberland Coalition for Social Justice. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. 
Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.